0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams.
1: This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. It's Wednesday, so it's time for It's My Money. It's uh, a day late, but nonetheless, it's worth it because I'm speaking to Brian Butchart, who's the founder and CEO of Brentos Wealth. And Brenthurst Wealth was voted South Africa's top boutique wealth manager in 2020. And we're continuing a theme that we've done so many times, but is still so important and so relevant. It's offshore investment. And the piece that Brian sent me was entitled "Simplifying Offshore Investment." And Brian, thanks for joining me as always. And, and I, I loved your first paragraph. It says here: "To put into perspective, ten years ago, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the most widely recognised barometer of the U.S. stock market, was twelve thousand four hundred, and it cost six rand seventy two to buy one U.S. dollar today." The Dow Jones is 35,000 plus, and it takes 14 rand and 80 cents to buy one dollar, in fact, pushing 15 as we speak. Adding in dividend income received over those 10 years provided South African investors with a total return of 699% in rand terms, an annualized rate of an extraordinary 23.1%. I could go on, Brian, but I won't. But these, you just have to read this, and there's your strategy for the future. Good morning, Lindsay.
0: Um, thanks for that intro. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think this puts it into perspective. It really does. Because, I mean, investors mm-hmm. focused offshore did far better than local investors. And, yes, the U.S. market obviously did uh, most of, of, of that uh, groundwork in terms of performance. But, you know, if you compare that as a South African investor in the JSC All Share Index, which averaged 12% over 10 years, boosted, of course, by the recent surge in commodities since uh, October last year, Uh, The question is, will this be sustainable? I mean, commodities uh, boosted by pent up demand and economies reopening as vaccinations were implemented, um, you know, with 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 demand, particularly from China. But of course, China's GDP growth has has dropped from double digits to single digits and has had a huge slowdown in urbanization and industrialization, which is where most of the demand has been for commodities. So, you know, in our view, there's been a shift to a new global economy with the emergence of the tech and healthcare innovation megatrends, and you can only get accessibility to these sectors offshore.
1: Yes, indeed. And there are elements of offshore as well. I mean, there's offshore and there's offshore. Not all offshore is equal. You talk about the new global economy, Brian, and you say one of the consequences of the COVID pandemic is they are witnessing the acceleration of some global megatrends. I won't go into what you've said. Maybe you could just explain it to us. Megatrends that, are they permanent megatrends or are they just transitory megatrends? Tell us more.
0: Yeah, look, um, Lindsay, I mean, most of these these businesses, uh, a lot of them are high cash generative and, and technology and innovation has been in high demand. I mean, this falls into the category of the fourth industrial revolution, which, um, you know, if you, if you take the tech sector that spans everything from 5G technology and semiconductors and chip manufacturers and cloud technology and renewable energy and robotics, and I could go on and on. I mean, uh, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity. Uh, gaming, electric vehicles, genetic editing, uh, and many more. But but I think, just to put it into perspective, let me give an example. I mean, ge- genetic editing on its own, in isolation, for example, is very exciting. Uh, we're biotech companies that are harnessing CRISPR technology to potentially edit or remove the defective genes or DNA which cause disease. Now, this potentially could be the cure for cancer, Alzheimer's, blindness, and even HIV, as, as just, just to mention a few. So, you know, these are the type of businesses which represent the future economy, not only in terms of technological development, but also the switch to environmentally sensitive operations that play into the ESG theme, most of which are only accessible across international markets.
1: Okay, why invest offshore? Uh, Very simple here. And I I, I like these bullet points that you make. Number one, dismal SA GDP numbers. GDP being gross domestic product. In other words, how much the economy is growing or not growing. In fact, maybe even uh, shrinking. And of course, the equity markets, when it comes to domestic equities anyway, domestic companies are inextricably linked to growth in the economy. And our economy is not growing. I mean, it wasn't growing before the pandemic at a particularly good clip. But the pandemic has obviously hit us very hard. so we're not growing. So how can companies grow unless they have offshore exposure?
0: Correct, Lindsay. I mean, you know, if you, if you look at the and, and that graph that I sent there, I mean, it, it basically overlays the forward P of the JSE All Share Index, which is very attractively priced with the GDP of South Africa. Now, I mean, if if, if one looks at the multiple, you're paying f- for the local market. It's below the long term average of around ten PE, which is which is cheap and and very attractive. Um. The problem, of course, is that if you overlay that with GDP year on year for South Africa, approximately minus 5 percent, and I might just add expected potentially to uh, detract even further by maybe another point three percent as a result of these recent riots. Uh, you know, if you're not getting the growth or, or the growth is not coming through, could, these, um, could, that, could, could the market uh, remain fa- fairly benign? And, and, and that's the issue and the concern when you compare that – of course, to the GDP numbers of the US uh, at, at approximately 7%. China at 8 expected to maybe moderate to 6% over the next year. I know where I want my money.
1: Mm. Yeah, you're, you're quite right although some people will of course say that there has been a resurgence in interest in south african domestic stocks and uh, other people that will say well it's simply a base effect and they were oversold and then now they're just re- reaching what many people believe to be an equilibrium the jury is out on that one uh, number two sure. point here about why to invest offshore diversification and of course it's terribly important i mean one day you might wake up in the, and see and process down five six seven percent each but on the other hand your portfolio is doing well by being up 5, 6, 7%. Diversification is terribly important, I think.
0: It is, Lindsay. And, and you know, just to, to pick up on your point on, on Nasdaq, for example, I mean, we know that the JSE All Share Index is tiny, okay? It's, it's, it's small in comparison to the opportunity set you've got uh, globally. So that's, that's the point I'm trying to make here. But if you take Nasdaq, for example, um, as, as your tech exposure in the local market. I mean, it, it's, one, it's one stock that you can get exposure to, really, um, uh, and that's bass. Nice and if you want healthcare exposure, for example, you'd probably look at Aspen. But, you know, many consider that to be a pharmaceutical company and a drug manufacturer rather than health innovation, which you can only get again, once again, offshore.
1: Exactly. Number three, optimization. Studies on optimal SA portfolios recommend a minimum offshore allocation of 20 to 30% through the cycle for long-term investors, requiring a return of inflation plus 4% to 5% in RAND terms. This is a classic recommendation for retirement savers aiming to optimize outcomes for their future pension. Elaborate, please.
0: Yeah, Lindsay. So, this is all about what is the optimal, optimal amount of, of offshore allocation in your portfolio? What should you have that is going to optimally um, produce the, the type of returns that you're looking for? And we know, for example, that Regulation 28 funds, um, which relates to um, pension funds, are limited to 30% offshore. And for many, that may be the optimal amount to achieve inflation plus 4%. But investors with more global spending requirements, including a larger share of foreign currency-denominated spending or bequest motives, um, can typically justify far larger uh, offshore allocation. And this, of course, is dependent on individual objectives and risk profiles. But as far as we're concerned, whatever strategic allocation range an investor deems to be appropriate, we would suggest an offshore allocation at the high end of the appropriate strategic weighting Uh, given the elevated level of economic and political risks facing
1: SA. Number four, protection against declining purchasing power due to the devaluation of the local currency over time. In the introduction that I read out, your introduction that I read out, you talked about the Dow Jones being 12,000-odd and the RAND being 672 against the US dollar. At one stage, uh, what was it, a year and a half ago, it went to 1935 against the US dollar. It's back now, uh, rounding it up, it's back now, let's let's call it 15. Uh, So, even though there's dips and troughs it will always revert to the mean and the mean is that is a decline of five six percent per year so you mustn't become a currency trader but you must be mindful of the fact that every single period whether it be a year or two years the rand does depreciate and therefore your spending power is reduced correct Lindsay.
0: um you know one of the reasons why the RAND seems to have ma- maintained its relative strength is being on the back of demand for commodities. So yes. you must remember, SA is basically a commodity-based economy. And if that slows, the RAND could be far weaker. And and we tend to forget that the RAND was at 670 in 2011 and currently at 15. Um, you know, if you do the numbers and you go back, the, the RAND on average over the last 20 years is depreciated every year by 3% per annum, and if you do that over 10 years, it spikes to 7% because, of course, we've had a little bit more uh, volatility in the last 10 years. But, you know, that, that's, that, that trend is probably a longer-term trend that we expect will continue. And if you have to safeguard against um, this exposure to offshore currencies and, and, and growth in dollars, sterling or euro, I mean, it becomes exceptionally important to beat inflation on the cost of goods, I mean, most of which we, we, we pay for
1: in dollars. Yeah, we do. Yes, of course we do. Especially when we're not producing the stuff ourselves, we have to we have to bring it in. And because our economy is not diversified enough, is not it doesn't have the manufacturing uh, that is required. We're not self sufficient, in other words. Okay, how to invest offshore. There's various points here. Single discretionary allowance of $1 million with a- a- available, and this is important, available without any application each year to adult individuals in South Africa, but covers all annual offshore expenses, so need to be aware of this when travelling or even shopping online. And there doesn't have to be any tax declaration on this as well, from what I understand, Brian. Correct,
0: Lindsay. So each individual uh, is entitled to take a million rand offshore per calendar year, mm-hmm. um, so that's January to December. So every January, that, uh, that, that obviously tops up again to a million, and you don't need tax clearance for that, and you can literally take that off as an investment, or or should I say and, or one must just remember that this uh, does form part of your travel. So if you are expecting to travel in that particular year, uh, whatever amount you're going to be spending on your offshore travel, you just need to take that into account in terms of what you're going to invest. But the, the beauty of that is you don't have to wait for tax clearance, um, and you can get it off quite easily and quickly through um, – through um, the Reserve Bank and/or a um, authorised dealer.
1: Okay, foreign investment allowance. What does that mean? Okay, so foreign investment allowance.
0: This is in addition to the million per year that that you can ha- take offshore without tax clearance. This this applies to ten million rand per individual calendar year. So again, between January and December, you have to apply to SARS. Your your tax affairs have to be in order. You have to prove the liquidity of the amount that you're taking offshore. Um, and you have to declare your assets and liabilities to SARs, and then they provide you with a tax certificate. usually takes between six to eight weeks, um, and then you can uh, take that money offshore for investment purposes as well.
1: Third one, asset swap. And there's lots of acronyms here. SDA and FIA aren't available to SA Trust, etc. So tell us in simple terms what an asset swap is.
0: Okay, so an asset swap is basically, um, you know, a client would transfer uh, RANDs onto uh, an approved asset swap provider. So in many cases this is referring to your your uh, asset managers. For example, you want to take an investment through I don't know let's let's say 91 and and 91 has a certain amount of offshore allocation that they can um, have offshore based on their balance sheet. So in other words, how much assets they have under management, and you don't apply for tax clearance. You use their balance sheets to get these assets offshore. They swap the ZAR for uh, dollars, uh, but it is in rand denominated or both rand and dollars. But you use their asset swap facility without um, SARS. And, um, you know, that's normally there's a charge for about 0.2 to 0.5% for that asset swap facility to be used. But the major differentiator between the asset swap and the SDA, which is the single discretionary allowance of a million, and the, um, a foreign investment allowance of ten million with tax clearance is that despite the fact that the asset swap investment is made into offshore assets, it remains a South African asset in the eyes of the Reserve Bank and SARS.
1: Okay, finally, who can invest? I suppose anyone that's got some money and who has his or her affairs in order.
0: Correct, Lindsay. So SDA, anyone, any indiv- so SDA and FIA. So the the Foreign Investment Allowance and the and the single discretionary allowance of the million and ten. million with tax clearance only applies to SA resident individuals, Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the asset swap, you can um, use the asset swap facility both in an individual capacity as well as SA trusts and companies.
1: Excellent. And How busy are you when it comes to advising people on offshore investments? I imagine each year it gets more and more prominent in the conversations we have with existing and new clients.
0: Lindsay, this has been a theme, you know, I mean, if I, if, I, if I consider Brentos as a business, I mean, we've been advising on offshore allocation at least for the last decade now. Uh, more recently, it, it definitely has become more of a um, prominent feature in many asset managers uh, wanting to increase their allocation advisors, wanting to increase their allocation clients interested in getting more assets offshore for a lot of the reasons that I have pointed out earlier. Um, so definitely the demand has spiked big time in terms of getting that exposure to offshore markets that, you know, we just simply cannot get accessibility to here in South Africa.
1: Very good. Brian Butcher is the founder and CEO of Hurst Wealth, and that was It's My Money. It's My Money was brought to you by Hurst Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position